Today, we're kicking off a brand new sermon series here at Walk Church that's titled The Parable Collection. The Parable Collection. And part of the reason why we've selected this as a study to preach through is really because there's these different parables throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that bring us into the story of Jesus, the story of the kingdom of God in, in fresh ways. And, and Jesus preached the parables. And I was praying about what we could just jump into for a few weeks this summer. And I felt like, you know what? I've never actually studied the parables quite like I, I want to dig into. There's a lot of gems within them that I think we can continue to grow in and ring out. And so for the next several weeks, we're, we're not going to look at every parable Jesus preached, but we're going to take a handful of them and we're just going to unpack them and grab some spiritual truths through them. What is a parable? Let me go ahead and define a parable in two quick definitions. Uh, the first one comes from the Oxford Dictionary. A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. I like how the Webster's Dictionary translates parable as well. It says, usually a short fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. Oftentimes we call these in our culture maybe an illustration or in some type of capacity, a, a story that tries to drive home a point. It might not always be an actual uh, story that took place. It could oftentimes be a fictitious story or a poetic story or, or a narrative in a way to try to make a spiritual principle come alive. Not only were parables something that Jesus preached, but parables were something that Jesus was prophesied about several years before he came to earth. Let me show you this psalm here on the screen. It talks about parables. I also think it's fitting on this Father's Day to look at this psalm as well. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I like that first verse because it says, Stop scrolling if you're scrolling. <laughs> Lock in, pay attention. Give an ear. Incline your ears to these words. Words. Verse 2 says, I will open my mouth in a parable. This verse right here is actually something that Jesus brought to life in Matthew 13. This was a prophetic verse about the coming Messiah, and Jesus says, here I am opening my mouth with these parables that was prophesied about. Many years before, I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. There's something beautiful about passing the truths of scripture and God's activity and God's miracles and God's move down to the next generation. Amen. We have a responsibility, church, to to pass down and disciple down those who God has put in our lives, the things that God has done. The testimonies from of old would continue to go forth, and parables was one way for Jesus to do that. So today I'm going to turn our attention to what I would say is, out of all the great parables, the greatest one. It's my favorite parable that Jesus preached. In fact, I think it's one of the greatest stories and tales ever 
told if it was being reviewed or rated, it would be a five star. It would have a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes if it was a movie, right? And I believe this parable is a good place for us to kick off the series. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. Let's eat. Well, Father, we're ready to eat from your word. So Lord, we ask you to speak to us from your word. And just even right now, I know we've prayed a lot already, but would you just pray one more time and just pray your own prayer? Just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. For real, just ask him. Say, Lord, speak to me today. Soften my heart, quiet my soul. Teach me your word. Feed me today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, which I believe contains the, the best, dopest parable out of all of them. Can I say that? It's okay. Let's walk church. Here we go. Luke chapter 15. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you need more time, say, more time. I think we're close. Okay, Luke chapter 15. We're going to read a lot of verses, and then I want to try to pull out three points to try to lean into this parable in a fresh way and give you some wisdom when it comes to the Father. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse number one. This sets the stage for the sermon. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Can I get an amen? Amen. I love that verse right there. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats. That's my Pharisee voice. It's my voiceover. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, he told them this parable. This is the stage for Luke 15. And what I believe is the strongest and most powerful parable. All the parables are divinely inspired and so great. But this one hits different. And I hope it does for you here today. Here's the setting, right? Jesus in all of his power and his splendor and his glory, the walking Messiah savior is surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. I love this picture of Jesus. Amen. He is not repelling them. He's inviting them. He's not stiff arming them. He's saying, Let's hang. They are drawing near to him. Now, if right now you're saying, man, I don't like this picture of Jesus. Check your heart before we start, all right? You're in there. The tax collectors and the sinners are drawing near to God, and isn't that what they should do? Isn't that what we should do? Does God not say, if you draw near to me, oh, I will draw near to you. What an invitation. They took him up on it. And at the very same time, in the very same party, in the very same section, there's Pharisees, voter Pharisees. That's the religious elite. The religious elite and the scribes who wrote down what the Pharisees did are grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I love how Jesus was like always eating. <laughs> Amen. Like shout out to eating Jesus. He just always was, was like eating with sinners and tax collectors. Praise God. The king of kings. And so Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, looks around and says, I got a story. I got a parable. I have a 
tale that I want to tell to drive home a spiritual principle that's very important for you to catch. And he he gets ready to do it here in Luke 15. But before I read the parable, um, does anybody like previews or trailers at the movies? All right, nice, cool. The rest of y'all get there late so you can just start right on time, right? You're like, hey, I don't want to see all that. Just give give me the movie, right? I ain't mad at you, right? I like the trailers. I'm a preview guy. Jesus gives a couple previews, a couple trailers before the big parable, all right? He goes, so he told them this parable, but he gives two trailers up front. The first one has to do with a lady in her house who loses a very expensive and prized coin, She can't find the coin. She lifts up the couch. She lifts up the bed. She tosses everything. She looks in the cupboards. She's looking and searching her house everywhere to find this very expensive coin until finally she finds that coin. And it says on that day, she rejoiced and was passionate. Then he says, okay, that's the first little short film. He goes, let me move into the second one. Imagine a shepherd outside. He's got all of his sheep. And then one he notices is missing. The text tells us that he leaves the 99 sheep just to go find the one. And he goes on this mission trip searching and seeking for the lost sheep. He finds the lost sheep and brings it back into the fold. And he says, and on that day, the people, the sheep, the shepherds rejoiced with great joy at the finding of the lost sheep. Then Jesus, right, he flips the script and he says that parable is referring to to whenever a lost person comes back to faith in God. When a lost person is in their lostness and they're trying to figure out life and they're trying to figure out sin and they're trying to figure out what to do and they come to the realization that their identity is found in Christ and that the the, the forgiveness is free in him, that they could actually have a right relationship with God and they, they realize, you know what, this ain't working. And they turn from their sin and they go to him and God brings him or her home. Jesus says there's a celebration in heaven. A siren goes off and there's a party with the angels in the heavenly realms whenever a sinner repents from their sin and turns to faith in him. Those are the two stories that Jesus kicks off the parable with. And I love that because, you know, as I've been learning about just the nation's Right now, in a different context, it could already be tomorrow, right? And in other places, it's already back. And so what what do I mean by that? I think 24 hours a day, at some point in time, somebody's getting saved. Like somebody is somewhere else right now, and it's already evening time there, and somebody's hearing about the gospel and coming to faith in Jesus. Why do I say that? Because I think heaven's going to be a nonstop party. It's going to be a time of celebration, worshiping Jesus, excitement, and passion. And, oh, friend, let's have a little bit of heaven on earth. Amen? Let's get excited while we're here about what God's doing. And so Jesus gives those two trailers up front, the lost coin, the lost sheep, which leads to this big movie that he's about to tell us. I want to preach a message today that I'm titling, Father of the Bride. Father of the Bride. Anybody ever see that movie back in the day? It's like an old school joint. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I'm dating myself. You know, I, I'm a fan of Father of the Bride. Steve Martin, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the reason why I titled it this message on this Father's Day is because 
The bride is oftentimes known as a metaphor for the church. So the father of the church, God, our father, the father of the bride, I believe he teaches us about himself in this parable we're about to read. The father brings us into who he is, his character, his nature, his heart, his spirit toward us. So I want us to look at it here and I want us to examine the father of the bride, the church. All right, if you're ready, say ready. All right, turn with me to Luke 15. Let's look at verse 11. We're gonna read a whole lot of verses and I want you to try to imagine this in your head. You already got the setting. It's Jesus. He's sitting there, sinners, tax collectors, scribes, Pharisees, all in one setting. Sounds like a church service, amen? Here we go. Jesus is the leader of it. Verse 11. And he said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country called Las Vegas. I mean, uh, into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. For a young Jewish boy, the worst occupation you could have is that. And yet this is where he finds himself. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, oh, I love that phrase right there, amen? Sometimes, at some point, you just got to get a revelation, you got to come to yourself and recognize, you know what? God's way is better. He's always been better. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but, but I perish here with hunger? He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, right? He, he starts this, this speech in his, his head. Right? He says, I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt anger. No? Just making sure y'all following along, all right? Come on, stick with me. Felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed this boy who had been hanging with the pigs. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Amen. Amen. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and 
celebrate. Oh, I love that word. We got to celebrate better. Walk, church. Come on. I love that right there. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, if this was a movie, you might think there was like some cursive that came up on the screen and said, and happily ever after. But that's not how life always goes. Amen. If this was a movie, it would be a moment where it goes and bum, bum, bum. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Verse 27 says, and he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entered and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 30. What a moment here. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, I love that phrase, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. In other words, if you wanted it, you could have already had it. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen? What I believe is the best parable of them all because I believe this parable brings us into the Father's heart. Not just the heart on words on a page, but his heart toward us, Walk Church family. His heart toward you watching online right now. Let me go ahead and encourage you with three truths about God the Father from this parable. Point number one, the father is not forceful, but gentle. Come on. Amen. As I was reading this text and I was just trying to examine God, the father, I was moved at how he responds here. And I think some of this is going to deserve some teaching because culturally there's a lot of significant things that is happening here. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. Just to jump back in, it says, the younger of them said to his, his father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, why do I emphasize this verse? Listen, this was the most disrespectful thing you could say to a father, especially in this context. The younger son approaches the dad and says, father, I don't care if you're dead or alive. Just give me what's mine. In this context, what, what, what he's referring to is this. A father would have all of his property, all of his share of estate, and that would belong to his sons once the father had died. And so the oldest son would get the larger share of property. The younger son would get his share of property. This case, the younger son goes and says, Father, you know when you die, I got a share of property that's coming to me. I want it now. I don't care about you. 
I don't even want to live here anymore. I saw a commercial about Las Vegas. I need my property, so hurry up and get it to me so I can bounce. Now, many scholars say it's insane that the father didn't slap him. In fact, you can imagine the Pharisees and the scribes at this service thinking, what a disrespectful son. Just, in, just, and the sinners and the tax collectors are like, I like this kid. I like this kid. I like where the story's going. Jesus is ministering to both. And the father does something that is so startling. He divides his property between them and says, here you go. What this shows me, this shows me that the father is not forceful. He's not making his son do something here. The father doesn't cause us to sin, but here's what I've realized. The father will allow us to even make bozo choices at times just so that we can see on our own that God was always better. God doesn't force us to do things. He didn't force this, but he'll sometimes allow you to experience some stuff on your own so that you can realize that Jesus was always enough. Not only was he enough, but he was good. Not only was he good, but friend, he was great. And not only is he great, but he's ready to receive me. The father is, is gentle. I read this Psalm recently and it it moved me. It's Psalm 18, verse 35. The scripture says, you have given me the shield of your salvation. Praise God for salvation. Amen. The reality of being saved can be a shield for you. When all is lost, you can stand on the reality that you're saved. You might have everybody walk out on you, but you can still walk into the kingdom and realize, man, I'm a new my identity in Christ is Jesus plus nothing equals enough. Amen. Let me even take this moment to, to drop these new wristbands that came out today. Jesus plus nothing equals enough. You got to grab one because you need that reminder. Open this package up. I broke it in the first service. I was too forceful, not gentle. So I'm pulling it out nicely. I'm going to put it on right now and I'm going to represent because I'm reminded that Jesus plus none of my good deeds is enough already. It's not something that I bring. It's something that I receive. It's not me and my good works and my religious duties. It's what Jesus has done through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension to do all the work in my place. Jesus does the heavy lifting, amen, so that we can receive his grace. Look at this verse. You've given me the shield of salvation and your right hand supported me. Oh, thank you for that. And your gentleness made me great. The father is not forceful. The father in this setting is actually quite gentle. He loves the son and he even allows him to make this decision in hopes that the son would figure it out that the father was always better. Let me give you the second point. Second point that we see here about the father is that the father is not doubtful, but watchful. What do I mean by that? Listen to me, church. Look, the father is, is not forceful, but he is watchful. I love that we have a savior that has eyes, that we have a God who is infinitely present and he's watching, church. Listen to me, he's watching. 
his eye is on you. Let me give you this proverb, Proverbs chapter 15. I love reading this every month. Proverbs 15.3. Come on, read this with me off the screen. We'll put it up here on the screen. Proverbs 15.3. If not, I'll just go ahead and read it and you can hear it. Here's what it says. It says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are there. Listen, you ain't hiding anything from him, amen? So you can be honest and you can be the real you. I love how Jesus is modeling this proverb in Luke 15. He's saying, I'm watching you, Pharisees. I'm watching you, scribes. I'm watching you, sinners. I'm watching you, tax collectors. And I got a message for you. It's about the father's heart. The father is not doubtful. The father is very much watchful. Look at verse 20 with me, Luke 15, verse 20. As we continue to lean into this story, it says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Now think about this for a moment. What do we know about the son? Well, he disrespected the family. He disrespected the whole neighborhood. In other words, he was dead to the family. He took the father's property that he was supposed to get once the father passed away, and he went and squandered all of it in reckless living. He's, he's working in a pig pen. He's so hungry that he wanted to eat the pig slop because he was so in need. That is his testimony. At some point, he comes to his senses and says, look, there's no way they'll ever receive me back as a son. I'm okay with that. But if they can make me a servant, at least I'll eat the scraps and that'll be better than this. And he thinks in his head, let me make my way back. It's going to require a lot of humility. I wrote out a speech, father, I sinned. I don't want anything. Just make me a servant. And he says, good enough. I'm on my way back. Now here's what the scripture says. As he's on his way to his father, listen to me, church, listen to me, please. While he was still a long way off, which many scholars believe that means the father was daily looking, watching, is he coming back? And the neighbors are saying, he ain't coming back. Your son has, and we don't want him to come back. We've been following his posts. It ain't good. Pops, get you a TikTok. He's squandering it. He's messy. He ain't coming back. And the father is not doubtful. He's watchful. I ain't listening to y'all. I know my son. Watching, looking, and one day, around the corner, there he is. What is the father's response? His father saw him and felt compassion. This word compassion, it's the Greek word splagna. Come on, say splagna. You got to say it like this, splagna. It's meant to be said that way because it's this idea of a movement so deep within your belly, it drives you to action. You feel such a gut-wrenching feeling, you have to go. The fathers felt, felt a sense of 
splagna. And he ran to his son. Now listen to me, church. Fathers in this culture don't run. They got like, they got like this beautiful, masterful robe on. They got like that G-walk, you know what I'm saying? They, like, they got like the servants to do the running. They got the young bucks to do the running. The father shows up and it's very calm, cool, and collected. Not this father. This father runs, and I wonder if the Pharisees and the scribes are thinking, yeah, he's about to run and tackle him, clothesline him. Why is he running? He runs and embraces him and kisses him. This father is gentle. This father is not doubtful. He is optimistic his son will come home. He's watching. He's waiting. He's, he's not forceful, but he is seeking. He is searching. He is hopeful. For you today, if you are lost, if you are in your own version of a pig pen, if you have been tripping, if you have been fallen, if you're living in sin, I'm here to tell you it's never too late. This could be the day that you come to your senses and you say, I'm making my way back to the Father. And if you're thinking, if I do that, a lightning bolt is going to strike me. It's not. Blow that cartoon, fictional, fake figure of God out of your mind and get it right from the book. Jesus is giving us a spiritual principle out of this parable of what the Father's like. The father has compassion. The father is watchful. The father starts running. The father starts kissing him. And I wonder if the son is just confused. Let me move into the third and final point. So we get ready to close. The third point is this. The father is not prideful, but graceful. The father approaches the son with an insane amount of grace. Amen. Look at this. So we close. Verse 21. So what does the son do? He's getting kissed by the father. He's getting hugged by the father. The son goes, I I got a speech. I got a speech. Let me pull my speech out. Um, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, look, the father interjects at that moment, cuts him off, rips up the speech and says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Now, let me just say a couple quick things. Contextual. He says, he says, bring the best robe. What does the robe symbolize? Robes symbolized royalty. So here the son says, look, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, go get him his royal robe. Put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. Why is the, why is the ring so significant? Here's why. The ring was his debit card. In this culture, you didn't necessarily have a plastic card. You didn't have Apple Pay. You didn't have cash. What you did was had your father's initials on your ring. So if you went to the shop, 
and bought a bunch of pita and hummus and they said it's going to be 15 shekels, you said, stamp that. And they go, oh, we know his dad. He says, give him his ring. I want to make sure he knows he's always a son. And put, put some new shoes. Oh, I love verses that have to do with shoes. Come on. Oh, honor him with some new shoes. This is incredible. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. For this, my son was dead. Now listen to me. Walk church. Listen to me. He's using literal language. The son was dead. He was dead to the community, dead to the family. He lost his respect and dignity. But when he turned around and came home, he was found. The father said, no, no, he's, he was dead. But now he's home. We, we must celebrate. And oh, friend, they, they began to celebrate so much so that he bothered the older brother who didn't like it. And here's what I've come to realize, church family. I've come to realize that you could be the younger son in the pig pen or you could be the older son in the backyard and you can both be lost. It all depends on where your heart is. You could be here at church with a suit on and a part in your hair and you could be just lost, disgruntled, grumbling, missing the father's heart, or you could be at the club right now, missing what God is doing, equally lost. Can I just tell you, God, the father is watching, waiting, seeking. He wants you. Oh, he wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to change you and save you. And he feels compassion towards you. So come home, come home, come home. Amen. It's the message for all of us. It's never too late. One of my favorite books. Mark, can you pass me this book right here? It's, it's, it's a book that impacted me several years ago. It's called The Prodigal God. Oftentimes we look at this story and refer to it as the prodigal son. The word prodigal just means, wow, that's way out there. And Tim Keller says, you know who the, the prodigal went? The prodigal is God, the father. He's the one that's wowing everybody with his compassion. He's the one that's wowing everybody with his grace. The main person in the story is not the son, it's the dad. It's the father. I want to encourage you to pick up this book today. We got them in our merch store. You can get it for $10, cheaper than you could on Amazon, all right? And uh, we'll encourage you to make this your summer read. It's not that long. It'll introduce you to the father's heart that much more. And I'll give you a quote from Keller. I love this quote as I was thinking about it. He, uh, he puts this into to words. He says, neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping all of them diligently. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. He's saying, hey, check your obedience. Make sure you're not doing it to earn it. And check your lostness. Make sure you're not there because you feel like you can't come home. Focus on the Father's heart.
and come back today if that's where you're at. Or if you're in the backyard and you're upset at all the people that are coming to know Jesus, come inside and celebrate and get some of that freshness on you again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today you would encourage everybody in the room, the audience, the lost sons, the lost daughters, the ones that are in the home but lost their joy. God, would you restore the the joy of your salvation? And would you save sinners? Today, if you need to be saved, I want to invite you to pray right now and respond with faith. It's not the actions that save you. It's his actions that save you. It's not your good deeds or bad deeds. It's Christ alone. So right now, put your faith in him. Let's pray. Just say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to come home. I trust you as my savior. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave and defeated sin. And I believe you're for me, not against me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to turn away from all sins. They never helped anyway. And strengthen me now as I walk in you. Thank you for inviting me home. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate that today?